please turn in your Bibles to the book of James in the New Testament, the book of James and chapter 5. James and chapter 5, and I'll read verses 10 and 11. And James writes, verse 10, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The Apostle James, in these verses, he tells us two things about the Christian life. In verse 10, he tells us there is a beginning or the first part of the Christian experience. And then in verse 11, he tells us the second part, which is the end or the outcome of the Christian life. And he calls upon us here to look back upon the people of God in the Old Testament and see the beginning and the end in their experience. The beginning is what they experienced in this life, in this present world. The end, the final destiny, is where they are now and the world that they have come into, which is the Lord and his dealings with them. In any pathway, there is always an entrance, there is a beginning of the way, and then we must continue, we must travel along the way until we finally come to the end and to the final destiny and the outcome. And one of the temptations that we face, especially if the pathway seems long and the difficulties, the discouragements, the trials along the way seem to be so many, is to judge the entire pathway by our present experience of troubles. That our minds are so filled with our present difficulties, our thoughts are so focused upon them that our entire perspective is consumed by them and every step along the way, we think of the entire way in the light of our present trials. But James here, James is trying to lift our minds above that very narrow and limited perspective. And he is trying to help us to see that while we are believers, we must not judge our Christian life by our present troubles, but rather by the final outcome and the destiny that we are headed to. James speaks to those who are true believers. In verse 10, he addresses them as brethren. He tells them of the beginning of their Christian experience, and he says that it is one of suffering and patience. And then in verse 11, he brings us to the final outcome, which is the Lord's dealings with us in the end. And we must judge the beginning by the end and our Christian experience by that final work of God, which is one of compassion and great mercy. In this letter of James it is often patterned after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And so the narrow gate, that's the gate that we enter in the beginning of the Christian life. It is the gate at which we repent of our sin and we come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then after we enter that gate, we are in the kingdom of God, but then there is this narrow way that we must traverse, and it is a way of difficulties, trials, until the very end, which brings us to eternal life. The narrow way must be judged by the end of all things. And however long that narrow way, however constricted, however troubled we may be along that narrow way, we must view it in terms of its entirety and the big picture and in terms of eternity. Our present experience is only a very small part of the Lord's dealings with us overall. And so this is the perspective that James is setting before us here. And as we look at these verses, we want to view them in this way tonight. Two things. First, from verse 10, the beginning is a way of suffering. And James tells us here in verse 10, he says, And as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And James here brings us this, this subject of suffering here. Once again, it is a theme throughout this letter, and he has already spoken of it back in chapter 1. And we could turn back there for just a moment, back in chapter 1 and verse 2. James says here, after a very short greeting in verse 1, he says in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He has just opened the letter in verse 1. And the very first thing James brings up here is trials that they were passing through. We might say, well, James, could you not bring up something more encouraging and a little more cheerful than trials? But this is what their minds were upon because they had been dispersed and they were under persecution and James wishes to give them good counsel and to speak to their needs. And this was what they were passing through. He mentions various trials, various trials, many different kinds of trials, all different types, manifold, numerous. He says when you encounter them, the word encounter is the idea of someone falling into some suffering or calamity suddenly, unexpectedly, and unaware. It's the same word that Jesus used in the story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell, he fell among the robbers. He encountered, that's the word, he suddenly came unexpectedly, into the hands of these robbers. And that's what has happened here. These different trials, we do not know what a day will bring forth. We do not know what may come upon us in this present world that is under the curse and 
a world of such sin and evil, we may suddenly fall into a trial that we could not have anticipated. This is what James is speaking of here. But he says in verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter these various trials. And to consider it joy seems to be something that is so contrary to our natural way of thinking. Because when we encounter troubles, they are sources of sorrow and grief to us. And we think that they should always be avoided. James does not deny that there is sorrow in our trials. And he would not deny that there is grief but he would direct us to a Christian perspective upon our trials at the very same time and to see that God has a purpose and a good end that he desires to produce in us, which is what he tells us in verse 3, which is why we should consider it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So this is what our trials are for. They are the testing of our faith to produce, to have the outcome of endurance and perseverance in our commitment to Christ and to the ways of God. He says, let this endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, not perfect and complete in the sense of a sinless perfection, but perfect and complete in regard to maturity and the development of our character and the fruits of grace in us as believers. Trials are painful for sure and difficult for us to pass through and we feel the pressure and the burden of them when we encounter them, but we must keep in mind God's purpose ultimately in them is to prove our faith and our commitment to Christ, and to make us to grow and mature in the graces of the Christian life. He does not afflict us willingly, but he afflicts us as a heavenly father who loves us and has good ends in mind through the trials of this life. This is the reality for every believer. Different trials of all different types, persecutions for those that James speaks of here, the fiery trials, the, those in different parts of the world that we have spoken of tonight. There are trials in families, illnesses, physical afflictions. There are financial losses, there's poverty, spiritual inward trials, we would rather avoid them, but as believers, we cannot avoid them, and they are part of the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Part of the assurance that our Heavenly Father is at work in us for these good ends that James speaks of here. We see again in verse 12, he says in verse 12 here, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here is the beginning of the way that this man, he is under trial, but he must, he must by God's grace, he must persevere. And once he has been approved, 
Then he will receive the end, the crown of life. The Lord in his dealings with him is full of compassion. He has promised that crown of life which he will give to all who love him. Jesus has told us to take up our cross and follow him. And he has said, it is enough for the disciple to be like his master. And Paul has said, through many trials, tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And we look back to chapter 5 of James tonight. James is seeking here to encourage these believers in their present struggle. And he is telling them in verse 10 that their sufferings and their trials are nothing new, that they are nothing that should surprise them. This is the way it has always been for the people of God. He says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, endurance, perseverance, he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He says, look back to those Old Testament prophets. They were doing God's will. They were speaking his word. And they experienced such great suffering and trial in their lives. He says, look back. And look back not just to ordinary believers, but look back to those believers who were most imminent who were most distinguished among God's people, look back to the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. They were the most noble among God's people. They were doing his will. They were speaking his word. And look at the troubles and the trials and the suffering that they passed through. They remained steadfast. They were faithful under all that they suffered. They did not cease to do God's will because of the conflicts that they came into. They did not change their theology of God and his will because of the troubles that it brought them into. No, they persevered, they endured, they continued in suffering with patience and perseverance to the end. We could think of Enoch, for example. Jude tells us, of him, that he lived in the seventh generation from Adam, and God sent him to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners had spoken against the Lord. Enoch walked with God, and Enoch was not, for God took him. He persevered until the final end of the Lord's dealings with him. Then there was Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness when the whole world was filled with corruption and violence. And then there was Moses, who forsook the house of Pharaoh and endured ill treatment with the people of God and suffered in his trials in his life. There was Jeremiah, that prophet who spoke the word of God. Where did Jeremiah find himself down in a cistern, in a pit, in mud, under great persecution. And the city of Jerusalem was burned with fire, and he went into exile. There was Isaiah, 
who was sent to speak the word of God and no one would listen to him and the nation was hardened. And it seems that perhaps Isaiah himself became a martyr. We could add to this Ezekiel and Elijah. We could speak of the New Testament apostles as well. And they all passed through suffering and had to endure under great difficulties and they needed much patience and perseverance in everything that they passed through. But then the second point that we really wish to come to is the Lord's, the outcome of the Lord's dealings with them. He says in verse 11, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. What he is saying is that from our vantage point in the present, we may look back upon them now, and we may see the entire history with the final outcome of their lives, and we may know how blessed that they really are. They were once under trial and suffering, but now those things have passed and they have entered into the blessed state that they are in. Behold, we count them now. We count those who once suffered. We count them blessed who endured. If the story of their lives was a novel and we turn from one chapter to the next, each chapter that we turn to, we would find another trial in their lives. It so often seemed to be so. And we would feel the struggle and the anxiety as we read page by page. But whatever sufferings they passed through, and however severe and heavy, we would come finally to that last final chapter in their lives, and then we would see how blessed they are. So there is an end. There is an end of all these sufferings in this present life, and that's what he's speaking of here. We count those blessed who endured and persevered to the end. He says, you have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy it is really about the lord it is not about their endurance because their endurance only came from the lord he was the one who gave them the strength of endurance he was the one who sent the word and the holy spirit to them to strengthen them his grace was always sufficient for them he never left them or forsake forsook them and in every trial the lord was good to them and bless them and strengthen them. There was a Puritan by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a, a treatise. And in his treatise, he asked a question. Which would be Worst, which, which would be most evil? To commit the least sin in your life or 
to pass through the greatest affliction possible. Which would you choose? To commit the least sin? Or to go through the greatest affliction if it was God's will? The answer is to go through the greatest affliction is the way of blessing. Because God has not promised to be with you in any sin. Any sin, the least sin. The least sin is cursed. The least sin brings to death, ultimately. The least sin is worthy of hell. But God says through the greatest trials, he says, though the river would overflow you, and though you would pass through the fire, I will be with you. And so in the worst of afflictions, God will be present with his people to strengthen them and to help them. And that's the way of blessing. The greatest affliction is better to pass through than to commit the least sin. And that's the way it was with these men of old and these prophets. They would rather pass through affliction that's the way it was with our Lord Jesus Christ. He would not turn to even the least sin. He chose the path of suffering and affliction. We read in the book of Hebrews of the sufferings of these Old Testament saints. Hebrews chapter 11, we read that they were tortured. They experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown in, sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. Others were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And then we read of the New Testament apostles as well in their sufferings. But there is this outcome of the Lord's dealings with them that he gives them strength through all their trials, and then he brings them to the final end, and the proof is that he is full of compassion and is merciful to them in all of his ways and in the end that he brings them to. And so the story of the Lord with these Old Testament saints is one of comfort for us. It is one that we should rejoice over, because they are examples to us, James says, as an example of suffering and patience. Look at these Old Testament saints and all that they have passed through and see the end of the Lord's dealings with them. We can think of the Apostle Paul, and he spoke of his sufferings. He was under many sufferings in, in many imprisonments. He was beaten without number. He says, often in danger, and four times, five times, he received 39 slashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned, shipwrecked. And where is Paul tonight? He is with the Lord Jesus in heaven. He has gone to be with Christ, which is very much better and he said, I would rather prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And so there is the outcome of the Lord's dealings with him, that the Lord is full of mercy and compassion.
And so what James is trying to tell us here is that th this is how we should see ourselves in our present trials. That what happened to them and the Lord's final outcome with them is the same for us. That just as they suffered and they endured by the grace of God and by the power of God in them, by his grace that was always sufficient, so the Lord will give us grace and he will give us strength that we need through all of our trials. And just as the Lord brought them to the final outcome of his dealings with them, where he showed himself to be so full of compassion and mercy, so he will do the same with us. And he will bring us to that final outcome and prove himself to be full of compassion and merciful. And so this should be joy for us in the midst of our trials. One of the Puritans said, he who rides to be crowned cares not about the rain. If a man is riding on his way to a crown, to a kingdom, he does not care over a little rain. What is that to him? And that is what we are passing through now with our trials. A little rain in this present life until we come to be with Christ and he crowns us with that crown of life and we sit with him upon his throne in heaven and we are a kingdom of priests unto him. If we could see ourselves in this way, then how much more peace would we have in the midst of our trials? How much greater would be our willingness and our submission to them? How much more steadfastness would we have? What endurance it would produce in us and patience under such troubles of life to know that there is the end that is coming and that our trials will not last forever and it would take away bitterness from us and give us hope and peace in the midst of them. James, here in verse 11, he sets before us one particular Old Testament saint who is Job. He says, you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And so we should look at Job for a few moments here tonight, we'll turn back to the passage we read earlier, back in Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1. Job lived back in the time of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. 
He was one of the greatest men of the East. He had great wealth. And he was a blameless man, verse 1 tells us. Blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. In verse 3, we see the great possessions that he had. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 male donkeys, many servants. And then suddenly what happened to Job is that Job was caught up in a great trial in a spiritual conflict between Satan and God. And Satan challenged and he was really challenging God's work of grace in Job that if the Lord took away all of these things from Job, that Job would turn and curse God to his face because Satan accused Job of serving God only for the blessings that the Lord had given to him. And then what happened was in a single day, Satan came, he was given permission by God to do so. In a single day, he struck down everything that Job had, his servants, his livestock, his possessions were all destroyed, his children were taken from him. And then in chapter 2, Satan came again, and he asked for permission to strike Job's body with boils, and God gave it to him. And yet we're told here in chapter 1 in verse 21 that Job said at the end of verse 21, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away and blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He continued in his faith and his integrity. He was in great pain and then what happened was, in the rest of the book of Job, his three friends came and they offered him some very harsh counsel. They accused him of doing some great sin which had brought all of this upon him. And his friends made his trial even more painful. And Job's sufferings continued and for some extended period of time, he was a man under great trial. And we see, but we see the end of the Lord's dealings with him in chapter 42. In chapter 42, now what had happened is that God had given to Job perseverance. And it was just like Peter, when Peter was sifted by Satan. And Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. The same thing happened here with Job. That the Lord Jesus, the Savior in heaven, was praying for him. And he did not lose his faith through all of this. And he persevered. He came to the end. And he repented because he had seen the Lord in ways that he had never seen him before. And then the Lord restored him for chapter 42 and verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And verse 12, 
And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. And then down at the end, verse 17, and Job died an old man full of days. And so what we read of here is the outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job. That he greatly increased, he doubled his possessions, gave him more than he had ever had before. It was the Lord's work, it was the Lord and his outcome, his final end that he brought Job to. His sovereign plan came to its completion. He healed him and blessed him. And we see that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. The last end of Job is really not found in these material blessings that he received. The last end is found in verse 17 where he died an old man full of days and he went into his eternal inheritance which was far greater than any doubling of his earthly possessions here. And the last chapter of his life was eternal life. And the treasures of heaven, the unfathomable riches of Christ, that was the final end of Job. Whatever he lost in this life, he gained infinitely more. And his sufferings had now come to an end. And he beheld the face of God in Christ and so this is what James is speaking of in chapter 5 and verse 11. We count those blessed who endured. And we know of the endurance of Job and the final outcome of the Lord's dealings with him. A couple of verses we should look at here in the book of Job very briefly to see how he endured. We can turn back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job's wife could not understand how it was that he remained faithful to the Lord under such great trials. She thought this was the height of folly, that he would hold fast to his integrity under such tragedies. She wanted him to compromise, find some way of escape, curse God and die. It was Satan's voice that was speaking to Job through her. And Job refused. He said, shall we accept good from the Lord and not accept adversity? Shall we not submit to his goodness and not submit to the trials that he sends upon us? Job was willing to submit to whatever God would send upon him. And he proved that Satan's accusation against him that he only served for, how, for what God would bless him with, he proved Satan's accusation to be false. 
And he remained faithful to the Lord through all of these things. We can turn over to chapter 23. Chapter 23 of the book of Job. And verses 8 through 10. And Job says here, he says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In verses 8 and 9, Job complained that he could find, he could not find God anywhere. Whatever direction he turned to, forward, backward, to the right or to the left, he had no sense of God, and God seemed to be hiding his face. He had extreme suffering with the physical affliction that he was under, the emotional grief of everything that he had lost, the provocation of his wife, the accusation of his friends, family, servants, possessions. He sat in an ash heap in poverty. But the worst part was the loneliness that no one else understood him and he did not even understand himself. And he felt like he was abandoned by God in the midst of all of his afflictions. That is the worst part of afflictions, oftentimes for a Christian. That we pray and we feel that we are not answered in our prayers. And we suffer and we feel that God is indifferent to our sufferings. From our perspective, it seems that he does not care and he has forgotten us, though none of that is true. But that's what Job expresses. And yet in verse 10, he breaks out in this expression of continued faith and confidence that the Lord will not forsake him. He says in verse 10, but he knows the way I take. Though my sense is that he has left me and departed and I cannot find him, but yet I know this, that he, he knows, he still knows the way I take. He knows everything about me. However dark, however unbearable my trouble might seem to be, however distant he might feel from me, he still knows my ways and he has not departed from me. He has not abandoned me. And not only this, but Job says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I know what he is doing with me, Job says, in all of this trial and affliction. He is testing me. He is not out to harm me or destroy me. He is trying me. And he has an end. He has an end in this trial. And when he brings it to the end, he says, I shall come forth as gold. He speaks of his own character. He shall be perfect and complete. As James says, this is the end, the outcome of the Lord's dealings with me. That I shall be confirmed as that man 
who was blameless and upright and fearing God and turning away from evil. And I have not lost my faith because of his grace and strength in me. He has given me perseverance. Like gold that is put into a furnace, the gold must be brought out of the furnace as pure gold. And so he has put me into these trials. And in the end, he has an end in his dealings with me. And his end is that I shall come forth as gold. He does not say as I, I will come forth with gold because he has lost all of his gold. But he says, I shall come forth as gold and God shall sanctify me and prove the power of his grace in me to keep me faithful to him until the end. When gold is put into a furnace, the furnace cannot harm the gold. It can only burn away the dross. And so it is with God's people. When he puts us into trials, our tr the trials cannot harm his grace in us. The trials can only reveal, strengthen, and prove the grace that he has put in us. And that's what Job speaks of here. And so as we see Job in all of God's dealings with him, we should count him blessed. James says in chapter 5, we count those blessed who endured, and Job was among them. And we see the outcome of the Lord's dealings with him. Job has crossed the river. He has gone into the place where there is no suffering. He is with Lazarus, who suffered in this life, but is now being comforted. He is with the saints, the righteous, the righteous men who have been made perfect. And he can say with all of them that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is now being revealed to them. Job is with those saints that John saw in Revelation chapter 7. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them and they shall hunger no more nor thirst any more. And neither shall the sun beat down upon them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the final outcome of every believer in this present life. Whatever trials and sufferings that we go through, however deep, painful, in enduring, in length of time they may be for us, there is the Lord's final outcome. There is the beginning. There is the end. And God will show it to all who believe in him. Let us pray together. Our Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for your grace in us as your people. Thank you for the prayers of our great high priest, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits in the heavens and intercedes, and he is able to save forever all who draw near to God through him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And so, Lord Jesus, continue to have mercy and compassion upon us, to give us strength in all of our trials, in every need that we have, and bless us in this coming year. And we pray that we would look by faith to that final outcome of your dealings with us, and you will prove in the end that you are full of compassion and great mercy. We thank you now. We pray that you would hear us tonight and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.